All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to have you out this morning. My name is Rich. Uh, we are doing a sermon series right now called Pure, the Naked Truth, where we're looking at romance and uh, love and marriage and all that stuff. But here's the deal. We are not going to do that this morning. So over the past several, several years, there have been only a couple occasions where I've had plans to go one direction on a weekend, and then during the week, for whatever reason, last minute, feel like God is saying, no, go this direction instead. Well, Wednesday morning, I woke up, uh, came, down to, uh, came, came down here to the office, and was going to uh, finish up the sermon that I was, I was going to preach this weekend on sexual intimacy, and I felt like God gave me a gentle nudge and said, you know what, Rich, that sermon that you're thinking about preparing this weekend might not be where everybody's hearts and minds are at the moment. And so I just felt like God was saying, okay, switch things around a little bit and speak directly into the, wh- what's happening right now across our nation. And uh, when it comes to sermons and series and all that kind of stuff, I really believe in planning, I believe in preparation, but I also believe in going, okay, God, where do you want to go this week? And sometimes that, if it's, not, if it's different than where I think we need to go, then we'll just go wherever God leads. And so next week we're actually going to come back to the Pure Naked Truth um, series. But I sat down on Tuesday night, I sat down in front of my TV at 5.30 and didn't turn the TV off until about 2 o'clock in the morning. Anybody with me on that? Am I the only crazy one here? Some of you out there, okay. Uh, but, you know, for, for me, whenever, whenever, whenever there's an event, whether it's uh, a 9-11, whether it's the um, inauguration of uh, the first African-American president, I'm one of those guys that I just become glued to the TV set. And uh, although it's, it's a little too soon to know how everything is going to be playing out, Tuesday night was one of the, those big, huge moments in, in history. And along with it, the full gamut of emotions has been on display. There has been sheer joy and, and elation on this side, uh, right to uh, anger, to disbelief, to shock. Everything is on display. And regardless of whether or not your candidate won on Tuesday night, I think all of us in the room would probably agree on this, that this has been uh, one of the most divisive election cycles in our history. And uh, we can't call it the most divisive because there has been more divisive ones, but this one has stirred up division and animosity between uh, rich and poor, rural and urban, conservatives and liberals, men and women. And then, of course, it stirred up a lot of racial tension as well. It's been very divisive. And not only has the end result of this election cycle been more division, there's also more cynicism. Um, I've noticed that there's a, a lot more suspicion. People are looking at each other and going, okay, I wonder what, is, uh, what you really believe underneath the surface. And I wonder if the way that you believe is uh, a threat to who I am and what I value and hold dearly. And on top of all this, there's, there's, there's uh, fear, there's uncertainty, there's anxiety that, that many – not everybody, but that many people are experiencing. In this last week, I've been thinking a lot about what all this means for the church, particularly for, for this church. And one of the things that I love about this church so, so much is how diverse we are. Um, we are a, a, we're a racially diverse church. I consider that to be a tremendous blessing. Um, there's also diversity in age. There's a diversity in socioeconomic standing. So we've got people here who are high income. We've got other people that are low income. We have got blue collar. We've got red collar. We've got people that are 
are, are rednecks from the sticks, and then we've got people that are from the city. We are a diverse church, and this diversity also reaches into our politics. So don't panic or anything, but just to kind of call out the elephant in the room this morning, there are people beside you and behind you and in front of you who voted differently than you this last couple weeks. And uh, that probably would have got a little bit more of a chuckle a few years back, but in this day and age, it's, it's just uh, a lot more divisive. And uh, there are those in this room who believe that it's the dawning of a new and better day for America, and there's, there are those in this room who believe that this is the beginning of the end for America. There's a lot of potential in such a diverse church for division and, and for strife. And so in this climate of, of uneasiness, of fear, of division, of tension, all this stuff that's going on, how is the church supposed to worship? That's the question that we're going to be looking at this morning. How is the church supposed to respond? Regardless of what your politics are, how is the church supposed to, to, supposed to respond in this day and age? And the answer to that question is found by looking at what the leader, the head of the church, has to say. The leader of the church has his own platform. And by the way, that's not me, that's Jesus. And for many of us, we've been so caught up in our political party's platform over the last several years that we have forgotten what the, the platform of King Jesus is. And you won't find his platform written down on a website. You will find it in the pages of Scripture in the Bible. And there's one section of Scripture where, where you will find his platform condensed into around 2,500 words. It's a portion of Scripture that's become known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's this, in this passage of Scripture, our leader, King Jesus, lays out the most radical platform that has ever been laid out in all of history. It was so new, so different, that when he had finished unveiling it, Matthew, the, the, the writer of the, this book, he, he, the only thing he could think of to describe the, the, the crowd's reaction was to say the crowd was astonished. Their mouths are hanging down. They are in disbelief at this, this crazy radical platform that Jesus has just laid out. And this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to look at some of the big pieces of this platform one after the other. So typically, we would have sermon notes inside the, the program that you can grab at the back door and uh, spaces for you to fill in. Well, we don't have that today. This was a last-minute shift, and so too late to get sermon notes in there. But if you're taking sermon notes, there are some spaces in there for you to write down if that kind of thing helps you stay focused and helps you remember. The title of this morning's message is simply this, The King's Platform. The King's Platform. And the first piece of his platform is that his kingdom is to be pursued first and foremost in every area of our lives. Jesus put it like this. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His kingdom is his rule. His kingdom is, is his reign. And what Jesus is saying is that his followers need to seek his rule and his reign in every single area of their lives. If you were to go back into uh, the Bible, and there's four books in the Bible that are kind of like biographies of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are names, names of these four books. And if you were to go back there and read through the, the narrative there, you're going to see that followers of Jesus were very similar back in the day to followers of Jesus today. They were concerned about what was happening in government. They, too, wanted to have godly leaders. They, too, wanted to have godly laws. 
Um, they were actually even hoping that Jesus, who, who just kind of stepped on the scene, would, would actually become the leader of a new political party and a, the, the leader of a, a new government. But Jesus has a different kingdom in mind. And all throughout Scripture, you see Jesus constantly redirecting them from the worldly kingdom and going, okay, no, 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 it's, 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 it's about this. Seek this kingdom first and foremost. And, and what this means is that, that his kingdom, it takes priority over our allegiance to country, priority over, over um, our political party, family, priority over our jobs, school, goals, ambitions, friends. He's saying, seek his kingdom first above everything else. And this command that Jesus gives is not, you know, maybe you're hearing that and going, well, that kind of stinks that he wants us to seek his kingdom first. But that's not what this is about. When you get to know what his kingdom is all about, you start to see that this isn't a heavy burden that he's placing on our shoulders. This is, this is good. He's actually inviting us to live life to the full. He's inviting us to experience his resurrection power in every area of our lives. The Bible describes this kingdom as a kingdom that's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a good thing that he is inviting us into. There's stories all throughout the, uh, the New Testament part of the Bible where, where Jesus is trying to help people understand just what his kingdom was about and just how awesome it was. Um, one of my favorite stories is just a short story that Jesus told. It's about a man. This guy goes out into this field, and while he's in this field, he finds this, this treasure. And, and the, he's so excited. Jesus actually uses the, the word excited. He's so excited about this treasure that the Bible says he goes out, he sells everything that he has so that he can come back and buy this field because he wants that treasure so bad. And Jesus is saying, that's what my kingdom is, is like. It is, it's, you want it. It's awesome. It's, it's, it's life-giving. And Jesus comes along and says, pursue this kingdom first and foremost. Go after it. Put it first in your lives above all else. Another piece of his platform that Jesus lays out in the Sermon on the Mount is blessing will come to those who are pure in heart. He said this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's actually a little different than what we tend to think a lot of times is going to bring blessing. He doesn't say blessing will come to those who have lots of money. He doesn't come along and say blessing uh, is, is to those who, who have received a, a college education, to those who have their lives together. He doesn't say Blessed are those whose candidate won on Tuesday night. He doesn't say any of that. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessing comes to those who, who, who see God, who have the privilege of, of truly knowing him, those whose hearts are pure. They're pure because, one, they've been, they've been changed by Jesus. Their hearts are pure because they're soft. You know, th they haven't been darkened and hardened by life's struggles and life's uncertainties, they're pure and that they haven't been um, hardened by, by the hate and the mocking and the self-righteousness that is happening on all sides of the political discourse in our nation right now. Their hearts are pure and there's a blessing that, that comes as a result of that. You know, I've found myself uh, many times over the last year uh, just... I'm wanting to stay connected. I mean, it's good to stay connected to what is happening in our nation. But I found myself over the last year, as I'm listening to everything going on and, and all the, 
the insults being hurled and the, the ridicule and the mocking and all this. There's been times where I've noticed, okay, something's going on in my heart. It just, it, it, there's an anxiousness that's in my heart. There's a, there's a hardness. There's a bit of a cynicism that wasn't there um, a year and a half ago. And all this is, is, is changing my heart, and it's anything but pure. And, you know, honestly, the best thing for, for some of you in the room would be just to get off social media for the next two weeks. <laughs> just get off of it. Turn off the news and just get refocused on what really matters in life and, and let your heart, let Jesus come and, and become the focus and the, the center and the, the place where your heart is dwelling. The Bible says there's a blessing that comes to those who are pure in heart. Another part of, of this classic says blessing will come to those who make peace. Jesus comes along and he says, blessed are the peace." makers for they will be called children of God. Making peace is what God's children, what people in his kingdom just do. They are peacemakers. Now I just want to give you four ways this morning that you can be a peacemaker, especially in light of everything that's going on in our nation right now. Um, one of the ways that you can make peace is um, by forgiving rather than hold on to a grudge. By being people that forgive. Um, people who don't forgive can't be peacemakers because unforgiveness by its very nature is not about making peace. It's about, it's about retaliation. It's about getting back. It's about getting even. There can be no peace when, when that's what your, your heart is after. Jesus, he was constantly stressing the importance of forgiveness all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. At one point, as he's teaching his followers how to pray, he tells them to pray like this. He says, um, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. He wants them to know, okay, when you pray, you've got you to pray for forgiveness. And, and you can do that when you've got a posture of, of having a forgiving heart. Um, then to show just how critical forgiveness is to this, his platform, to how things work in his kingdom, he says this. He says, furthermore, if you forgive when they sin against you, your heavenly Father forgives you. If you don't, he won't forgive you. He won't forgive you. What he's saying is you've got to be about forgiveness. That's what what life in my kingdom is all about. If you want to be a peacemaker, you've got to be a person who lets go. Another way peacemakers make peace is they show respect even to those who rub them the wrong way. Did you catch that? They show respect even to those who rub them the wrong way. Jesus said it like this. He said, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, and I'll tell you what that means in a second, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. The word Raka is an Aramaic word meaning empty-headed one. It was, it was just a pure insult. That's all it was. And, and it was meant to show disrespect. It was meant to show disdain for someone who you didn't like, for someone who you didn't, you didn't agree with. It was, it was just a way of saying, <laughs> I don't like you. And this is happening everywhere in our culture right now, is it not? It is happening everywhere. And I don't know what it is, but there is something about all of us, let's go most of us, but there, there is something about when we get in front of that television set or we, we flip on our phone and we get in front of that screen, there's something about that that makes us think 
that it's acceptable to demean and insult a person that we're watching, watching or listening to on the other side. Whether it's a celebrity that we don't care about, whether it's a politician that we can't stand, as long as they're on the other side of that screen, we have this thing where we just think that it's totally okay. We can call them every name in the book, treat them as if they're somehow loved less by God than we are. We think it's okay because they're on the other side of the screen. And this last week as I was preparing this and as I, as I, as I wrote that down in my notes, it was like God just came along and gave me a gentle rebuke and said, Rich, you're actually not off the hook in this one. Because every time that you've inter- been entertained by, by a person insulting or bashing another person, what you have done is you have silently said, it's okay to do what you're doing. Like God said, your heart has just as much disdain and malice in it as the person that you're listening to on TV or listening to on the radio or listening to on your phone. And Jesus comes along with his radical platform and he says, that's not how it works in my kingdom. My kingdom is different than the kingdoms of this world. In fact, in scripture it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. This is what Christ calls us to. Another way that people in God's kingdom make peace is they treat others as they themselves want to be treated. Jesus, who who was the one who created the golden rule, he put it like this. He said, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. So if your candidate lost on Tuesday night, how would you want to be treated? My guess is that that you don't want to have someone gloat over you, that that they were right and kind of be all smug and self-righteous about it. You're going to want to have somebody show you some, 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 some sportsmanship, a little bit of respect. You're going to want to have someone show you some, um, a little bit of empathy. You're going to want to have someone treat you the same way that you would want to be treated. That's, what, that, that's just how you want it. And the fact of the matter is that right now on, on both sides of the political spectrum, there are some very, very, very strong feelings right now in our nation. On one hand, you've got uh, this, this side over here that, that is, is, has these strong, strong feelings about how things need to change and about how the course that we're going on is not good and, and everything's got to change. You have that camp over here. But then on this side over here, you have s- some people that also have some strong, strong feelings. You've got people that, that have some genuine fear who are genuinely afraid about the days ahead. And if we're to treat others the way that we want to be treated, it means that we're going to have to show some empathy. It means we're going to have to show some empathy. Are you with me this morning? You with me? Help me out a little bit, okay? We're not going to reject their feelings or tell them their opinions are invalid. We're not going to, empathy means that you don't just slap a Christian bumper sticker on it and say, hey, it's just going to be okay. Don't worry. Just, that's not empathy. Regardless of what side we're on, we need to be listening a whole lot more, you know, um, coming along and assuring one another that we are going to share one another's burdens. That's empathy. Another way that that we make peace, and this one is so, so important for the church. Another way that we make peace is, 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 is by living our lives in such a way 
that tension is caused over the right things. I'll say that one more time because it's a bit of a mouthful. You make peace by, by living your life in such a way that tension is caused over the right things. And here's what I, I mean by that. Christians aren't always going to be peacemakers. Sometimes our lives are going to create tension. Sometimes our lives are going to cause a little bit of unrest. Jesus himself, if you look at the life of Jesus, he's a bit of a paradox in that he, he came to bring peace on earth. You know, heading into Christmas, that's what it's all about, peace on earth. But then Jesus comes along, and he says that he didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword. That's anything but peace. He's, he, he's this paradox. On one hand, wherever he went, he's bringing peace to hearts that were broken and captive. But he was also bringing strife and division, causing a lot of turmoil, a lot of tension. And the tension and unrest that he was causing, though, you got to get this, were always around the truth. Those who accepted his truth discovered his peace. But a lot of times, those that rejected his truth were thrown into turmoil. And rather than, than be drawn to Jesus, they hated Jesus. So much so that they decided that they were going to murder him and nail him to a cross. He caused that kind of tension. But he was causing tension over the right things. The tension was being caused over the message of the gospel, over the truth of who he was. You will not find in scripture a place where people chose not to follow Jesus because of his political opinion or his cho choice of politicians. You will not find that in the four Gospels. It's not there. And the reason it's not there is because Jesus does not make it his number one mission in life to dethrone Caesar or to, to make sure that, 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 that a, uh, Christian leaders or laws were put in place in government. That was not his number one thing that he was after in life. When people stumbled, when they were offended about Jesus, it was always over the truth of who he was, not his politics. And as followers of Jesus, there will be times in our lives where we stir up offense and tension, but it needs to be over the gospel, over the truth of who Jesus is, and not over our politics. It is awfully quiet in this room today. Don't believe me, though. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said it like this on the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, blessed are you. When people insult you, when they persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So he is saying that you are going to face, you're gonna, your life is going to stir up a little bit of tension. You're not always going to be seeing peace trail behind your life. There are going to be times when insults are flying at you, when rejection is flying at you. But he says, let it not be over your politics. Let it not be over anything else. Let that be about me. When they start flying your way, when they are against you, may it be because of me. May it be because that you believe in Jesus. May it be because of the message of the gospel that your life is living out. Now, all this is not to say that politics don't matter. They absolutely do. If you were here last week, you heard me say, you have a responsibility as American citizens, all of us, to get out and vote. And I hope that you voted. I would love to see more Christian leaders in government. Um, but let your political involvement 
and conversations be done in a way that's peaceful, that's respectful, be done in a way that, that, that your life continues to magnify and exalt the grace and the truth of who Jesus is in a way that draws people to him. So a big part of his platform is that we're to be peacemakers. Another part of his platform is, is this, that, that um, it says love isn't just for friends, you're to love your enemies as well. Jesus said like this, he said, love your enemies, in Matthew 5, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those you don't agree with. Pray for those that you don't like. I'm telling you, this, this is a radical platform that, that Jesus is putting out here in the Sermon on the Mount. Those of you on the right who consider the left your enemies, you need to be praying for them, not bashing them. Those of you that on, on the left who consider the right your enemies, guess what? You're in the same boat as a follower of Jesus. He says, love your enemies and pray for them. This last week, I did something that on Wednesday that, that I haven't done enough over the past years or, or past years. I prayed for a couple of people that I, I just haven't prayed for a lot over the last year. Um, first, I prayed for Hillary Clinton. And on Wednesday, I felt a genuine sympathy for this lady who has been fighting this battle for years. And the anguish, the pain, what, whatever she's go whatever's going on inside that she's having to deal with in light of everything that's going on. And... Uh, so I prayed. I prayed that she'd find strength. I prayed that she'd be encouraged. I have no idea what her faith is, but I prayed that she would, she would find Jesus. I prayed that she would find the hope and the joy and the life that there is in Jesus. And then I prayed for Donald Trump. And I, I, again, I don't know what's going on in his world, I, but he's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. And I prayed that he'd have wisdom. I prayed that he would lead and govern with a heart that's tender, with a heart that has love and compassion for the people of, of our nation. I don't know what his faith is like, but I prayed that he too would find Jesus. I prayed. And I'm not saying that these are, are my enemies, but, but, but when you pray for people that you disagree with, when you pray for people that you see on the screen, when you pray for that person in the office that you just avoid because their political viewpoints are different than yours, when you pray for them, guess what begins to happen in your heart? You begin to get the heart of Christ for that person. You, you, your, your heart begins to change, and you, you find yourself capable of loving even someone that you disagree with. And we are called to do that, not just to pray for our enemies, but to pray um, or to treat them in a, in, with, with the same love and respect that you want to be treated with, to say hi to those you don't care for, rather than giving them the cold shoulder. This is what Jesus calls us to. We're to love our enemies. There's two more things in this platform of Jesus that I want to talk about. Next one is this. We're to keep our hearts anchored in the hope of Jesus. Keep our hearts anchored in the hope of Jesus. You 
put it like this. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Do not worry about your life, what you eat, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And then a little bit later, he says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He's trying to paint a picture here for all of us. He's saying you have, you've got a good Father. Your Father in heaven is good. He is faithful. His faithfulness doesn't change. Anchor your life in him. Instead of having it anchored in everything else and having your hope in politics and your hope in people, your hope in systems, your hope in money, your hope in your job, your hope in all this other stuff, he's saying put your hope, put your hope in Jesus. I love how my friend, I got a a friend who's a pastor down south in Mount Vernon. His name is Dave Browning. I love how he put this on Wednesday. He said this. He said, this is an amazing time to be a follower of Jesus Christ. First, because he embodies everything that is great, selfless, and pure. I challenge anyone to find even one thing objectionable about him. Second, because he has the greatest answers to the biggest questions on planet Earth. I encourage you to follow him to spiritual prosperity. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Third, because of what he can actually do. He is all-powerful, almighty God. He rose from the dead, and he raised to bring us life as well. He changes lives, marriages, families, cultures, and even civilizations. I ask you to pray that his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, keep your life anchored in Jesus. He is the only one whose faithfulness does not change. He's the only one whose love doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everything else is shifting sand. Keep your life anchored in Jesus. Keep it there. And then the last part of the platform that Jesus laid out that you need to know is that our lives are to be a light shining bright like a city on a hill. We live in a, a nation that seems to be, be becoming more and more divided, um, a nation where it seems you can't have a disagreement with someone and still call them a friend, a nation that's full of, of fear where there's apprehension on one side and self-righteousness on this side, a nation where the, the hate seems to be getting stronger, division is getting deeper. And I look at this and go, okay, this is a glorious opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ to shine brightly like a city on a hill, blazing bright for the world to see. I love how Jesus put it in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, you are the light of the world. And he's talking to you. If you're here this morning and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, he is talking to you. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are to be a light, and we do that 
by, by living as people who are, are children of God, by living as people who are part, who are, who are citizens of this, this kingdom of God. Yes, citizens of, of a country here on earth, but, but even of more significance, citizens of the kingdom of God. We live as peacemakers. We keep our hearts pure. We, we respect one another. We treat one another the same way that we want to be treated. We love one another. We love the world around us, but even more so, we shine brightly when we love our brothers and sisters in Christ who are sitting beside us, in front of us, and behind us. When we do that, in the middle of all of the diversity that this church represents, we shine so, so brightly in our community. Jesus put it like this. He said, the world is going to know that you're my, my disciples by the love that you have for one another. We are a diverse church. We are. And it, 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 but it gives us a beautiful opportunity to let the, the love of Jesus shine so brightly. We are called to be a city on a hill, a blazing light that points the world around us to the beauty and the majesty of who he is. And I don't know where you're at this morning. You know, there might be someone in the room that are just full of, of uncertainty, and your heart this last week has just been troubled, and you, you're just worried about what the, the future means for you, for your family. Um, I've been talking to people this week in our church, and there are people that are in that boat. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're, you're, you're just at a, you're, you're so hopeful, and you're just at the best place that you've ever been. You just firmly believe the best days are yet ahead. Regardless of where you're at this morning, I would encourage us to be a church that, that, that keeps our hearts soft, not only towards Jesus, but towards one another. To be a church uh, that, that respects and loves one another, and to be a church that, that, that shines brightly because of the way that we're just different. We are different than the world around us. And as we do that, the name of Jesus, the great, the glorious, the beautiful, all-satisfying name of Jesus will be lifted high. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much that we can call you our king. You are the king of this kingdom that is a kingdom that's not of this world. Lord, it's a, it's a kingdom that, that is not made of, of thrones and palaces and political systems and governments. Lord, you have called us to be a part of a kingdom that is a, that, that is a kingdom that's set up in our hearts. It's a kingdom that, 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 that represents you and who you are and your rule and your reign. It's a kingdom that, that is presently and it's a kingdom that's yet to come. Lord, you've called us to be um, a part of this kingdom. And to do that, Jesus, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Father, I pray that in the days ahead, regardless of, of where we're at, regardless of where different people in this church are at politically and whether they are at a place of, of just resting assured and confident or whether they're at a place where they're just worried and afraid, I pray, Father, that you would help all of us to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, to be people that love greatly, to be people that are humble, to be people that, that are all about you, to the, be people that in our conversations our conversations are seasoned with grace. They're, they're seasoned with, with just an, a, a humility that, that, that keeps the other person in mind where we're empathetic and loving and kind. 
Lord, I pray that we would be those kind of people, and that as we are those kind of people, that Jesus, your name would be lifted high in our lives, in the life of this church. Father, help us, I pray. And I pray that, Lord, you would help all of us to be able to to head forward into the days ahead with just a deep-rooted confidence that comes from our faith in you, our faith in a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Help us to do that, I pray. And, Lord, I ask that you would help us uh, to be a church that just shines brightly in our, our workplaces, in our homes, our families. God, I pray for the students in the room today. Lord, I know that this week as they head back into school, there's going to be a lot of tension. There's going to be a lot of awkwardness. And, Lord, I just want to pray that you would help students in this room to be you in their hallways, to be you in their classrooms. Lord, to know, to just be able to interact in a way that's wise because they've got you, Jesus. Help them to do that. Father, I pray that, that your blessing would be on this church and on each one of us in the days ahead. Lord, we just want to thank you that you're good, you're faithful. Jesus, we love you so, so much. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus.